Shift is brought to you by Capgemini. Hello, and a warm welcome to this podcast series on the topic of mobility, sponsored by Capgemini. My name is Vito Labate. I lead global sector marketing at Capgemini, and I would like to invite you to listen in on the thought-provoking and stimulating content shared on this podcast today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Shift, a podcast about mobility. I'm Pete Bigelow, your host and reporter at the Automotive News. Hello, Pete, and hello, everyone. Happy New Year. This is Leslie Allen. I am the editor of Shift the Magazine. And this is Alexa St. John, tech and suppliers reporter for Automotive News. The three of us will be uh, bringing you a special week of the Shift podcast. Uh, We're going to be doing daily episodes from the show floor at CES in Las Vegas. That starts right now. We're going to be having a conversation with Jack Wiest, who heads up uh, automated driving for Intel uh, in a few minutes. Uh, But first, I want to talk a little bit about and give all our listeners a bit of a sneak preview of what's ahead from Shift and the automotive news from Vegas this week. Leslie, what's, uh, what's on tap? Well, Pete, I tell you, when you think about CES, which used to be called the Consumer Electronics Show, of course you think consumer electronics. A lot of people are going to be looking at the latest uh, flat screen TVs, the latest in phones and, and things like that. But there's also quite a bit of automotive technology that they've used at CES or that is um, introduced to the media, at least at CES. We're going to see a lot about autonomy. I know we're going to be talking to Jack soon. Uh, LIDAR, things like that. We're going to be um, seeing a lot of introductions of technology that enables the use of 5G wireless. And um, also we're going to be hearing about some out there type things such as flying cars. And I think Hyundai has an announcement that they're going to be making there. So I'm looking forward to that. So you never know what's going to come out of CES. So stay tuned. That's right. And we'll have our own uh, news of sorts. Uh, We have a shift event that's taking place on Tuesday morning uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, Tell me some details about what we'll be talking about there. Well, yes. Thanks, Pete, for that little plug there. Um, In conjunction with the magazine, we do these occasional mini conferences. They're about a half day. And in Vegas, we're going to be focusing on data. We're going to talk about everything from artificial intelligence to other ways that you can take data, especially if you're an automotive retailer. Take this data and really help to improve the customer experience, help to reach out to more customers. And we're going to be bringing you highlights from the Shift event later this week on the podcast, as well as in the Shift magazine that comes out in February. And I have to tell you, beyond our event, which I am, of course, looking forward to, one of the one of the things on my schedule that I'm most excited about is uh, that we are both taking a ride on the Goodyear Blimp while we are, are in town. Uh, Going to hear some, about some of the technology behind uh, behind the Blimp itself, and then a little bit of what Goodyear might be working on as well. So that that is something I'm personally very much looking forward to this week. Of course, you're looking forward to it, Pete. You're a pilot. People like me, I am nervous, but I am looking forward to it as well, you know, getting up in the air and, you know, so we'll see, getting my first airship. So um, if I'm back here later this week, folks, uh, you'll hear all about that. What is the difference between an airship and a dirigible? If uh, if you know, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. I don't know, but maybe we'll learn this week if you don't know already. Well, with dirigible, I'm thinking Hindenburg, <laughs> but I know that um, we've come quite far from that technology. So I don't know the difference. What is it? Uh, I, I don't know either, but maybe we'll bring our listeners uh, an update on that. Uh, we'll have an answer for you later this week. Uh, 
but but for at least for today here now uh let's get to our interview with jack weist here shortly uh jack from intel and uh and then alexa is going to uh, give us a rundown on some of the highlights from the suppliers who are at ces who are often the stars of the show so without further ado uh jack weist from intel Joining us now on the podcast, Jack Wiest, the Senior Principal Engineer at Intel and Vice President of Automated Vehicle Standards at Mobileye. Welcome, Jack. Thanks, Pete. Glad to be here. Uh, Jack, you are the first podcast guest of the new decade uh, here at the Shift Mobility Podcast. So with that as a precursor, I kind of want to kick this off. Uh, I'd like to envision that we're talking again 10 years from now in 2030, and I'd love to hear from you what you think, uh, you know, how these 2020s evolve as far as automated vehicles go. Yeah, I think that's a, a wonderful way to kick this off. I'm happy, happy to be the first of the year, by the way, too. Thank you. Thank you for this honor. Um, I think 2020 is going to be a really fun year uh, for a couple of reasons. I think um, more broadly, as the saying goes, I think it's going to be the year where the rubber hits the road. Uh, some ways good, some ways bad. I think um, we're going to see some consolidation in players as the timeline pushes out for some, for you know, introduction of driverless vehicles, the ability for some companies to continue to survive without any revenue. You know, it's going to probably mean some consolidation and maybe some of those players even disappear. Um, but I also think, though, that 2020 is going to be the year that the industry really starts tackling um, this safety challenge in terms of really rolling up our sleeves, getting our arms dirty, collaborating with governments and figuring out what exactly does it mean for an automated vehicle to drive safely and actually putting pen to paper uh, to create some industry standards um, around that topic, which ultimately is what we need in order for there to be regulatory frameworks for all of us to be able to commercially deploy these products. So I think we're going to see some real progress um, on on that front as well, which I think makes it a, a really exciting year. You know, I am glad you brought up safety uh, so early here because I was looking back at some of the comments you made at CES last year, and uh, and we talked about this gap between uh, you know where the technology is today in actually kind of getting automated vehicles on the road in a, in a meaningful way. And the, the one thing you said that it was kind of you know keeping that that gap between reality and science fiction was a, a, and I'll quote you on this a, a belief that autonomous technology is safe uh, and I think that uh, sums that up very simply so how do we go about closing that gap you said it's putting pen to paper uh, getting the industry kind of together on the same page how does how does that actually happen here in the early 2020s yeah I think first it's an acknowledgement that um, while certainly we hope for a day in the future where there will be no more accidents, you know, and no more serious injuries or fatalities, um, you know, if if our if we have to prove that we're at zero, if you will, before the first driverless vehicle can deploy, you know, that's good. Then we're going to be waiting an even longer period of time. So rather than thinking it's starting at zero, uh, we should acknowledge that hey, right now we've got you know roughly forty thousand in the U.S. Uh, every year. How far down can we bring that number uh, and provide incredible safety benefits while balancing the usefulness of these vehicles at all? You know, because the, the joke goes, right, that the safest automated vehicle is the one that's never going to leave the garage. The point is, you know, accidents are going to happen. 
it's just a reality of it, you know. And so I think if we can more honestly and transparently talk about that as an industry together, but also with governments and the public, the sooner we can get past sort of these you know, unrealistic expectations that on day one, you know, these vehicles are going to be perfect. They're going to be much, much better than a human driver, and that's what we're excited about. Um, but, you know, it's going to take some time uh, for us to get to achieve that sort of, um, you know, vision zero kind of concept uh, at some point in the future. And so to that end, you know, what we really need then is a way to think about or talk about uh, or really to measure um, what does safety mean? on how safe is safe enough. Uh, and that's where I'm actually really excited to announce here on, on the show, actually, first time announcing on any podcast, um, that oh, we just received approval from the IEEE uh, to create a brand new standards work group um, that's titled uh, A Formal Model for Safety Considerations and Automated Vehicle Decision Making. So it's finally an opportunity in an internationally recognized standards organization for the whole industry to come together uh, and actually put pen to paper, as I said, and define what it means uh, for an automated vehicle to drive safely so that both the public and governments have uh, a, tra- a technology-neutral standard that can be adopted and, and embraced to, to answer that question of how safe is safe enough and how do I measure uh, and assess it. So this sounds very familiar in a way, Jack. Uh it sounds like you're taking your uh, responsibility-sensitive safety model, which I think is known through the industry as RSS, and and now working with a standards organization to uh, fill the fill in the blanks here. Further fine-tune RSS, or or kind of make that a a standard industry-wide in and of itself. Yeah, you're, you're correct. Uh, you know, we've said from the beginning that RSS was our contribution, you know, to the industry, um, but that it was a starting point. Um, and so since introducing it in 2017, we've funded a bunch of public research all around the world. Um, we've advanced the model. We've updated the original white papers uh, five times. We're now on the sixth version of the paper. Um, and so it's getting time uh, to, let's say, industrialize it you know, take it out of the research domain and put it into a practicability (laughs) arena uh, where it can then be implemented in real products and used by by, uh, regulators and assessors. So certainly we expect RSS to be uh, a part of it along with all the other research that we funded. But standards being standards, you know, they're open for everyone to participate. And so we encourage and welcome others to join uh, to bring their concepts uh, I've been told privately from a couple different companies that, hey, you know, we really like that RSS concept because we've got something similar internally. So, you know, if you guys create a standards group, we'll bring our ideas and we'll contribute to it and we'll make it better. Jack, before we get too too much further, it occurs to me we may have some listeners who who don't know exactly what RSS is. And I, I think if it's the right way to explain it, it's basically codifying mathematically what, what we as humans would call common sense when we're driving. Is that... Is that a, yeah. a fair definition of, of what RSS does? Yeah, I love that definition, actually. <laughs> you know, the, the, the way that we think about it is as a human driver, um, you know, we have explicit traffic rules, things like speed signs, uh, traffic lights, double yellow lines, stuff like that. Those are very well defined uh, and, frankly, pretty easy for a machine to interpret and understand. Um, but we also have this sort of hidden set of traffic rules that are kind of implicit, And these are things like, uh, you know, maintain a safe following distance, drive appropriately for the conditions. 
it's like, what do those mean? <laughs> you know, they're, they're totally subjective and especially uh, culturally dependent, too. You know, because driving safely or what a safe following distance is in one country might be very differently from in another, you know, because tailgating may be more or less socially accepted depending upon where you're driving, right? Um, and so really, you know, we have these kind of unspoken set of common sense behaviors, you know, like driving cautiously where pedestrians might be uh, occluded, you know, because uh, there's a crosswalk coming up or something. And so these are these common sense behaviors, you know, and when we, as, as humans, when we take our driver's test, certainly the adjudicator is looking to see if we are stopping at red lights and stop signs and things like that. But really what they're looking for is they're looking for, are we exhibiting these generic kind of universal behavioral characteristics that are really the things that are more representative of what it means for us to be a good driver? And that are these, that's what we're talking about is these kinds of rules, if you will. And so what we've done with RSS is we've essentially formalized these implicit rules on on safe behaviors, you know, for safe driving. I know you have some some public partnerships with suppliers and automakers who are using RSS. Uh, and if you can give us a, a list of your publicly, uh, you know, who, you, who you're public with so far, that would be great. And then second, um, can RSS be applied equally to a, a automated vehicle system and to a driver assist feature as well in terms of partners for rss the first two partners that were publicly announced were baidu uh, who committed to incorporating rss into their project apollo uh driving policy and vallejo um, a well-known uh very large tier one uh based in france um since then um probably the best example that i can give um of momentum around this concept you know that rss defines is um Ourselves, along with BMW, FCA, uh, Volkswagen, uh, Daimler, Conti, Audi, Aptiv, here, I'm going to get in trouble if I forget somebody, <laughs> Baidu, <laughs> uh, Infineon, I think, a collection of almost a dozen companies produced a paper earlier this year. That's really a 150-page paper, so not a short one, um, but a, a called Safety First for Automated Driving. And the basic idea behind the paper was to take a safe by design approach, which is an approach where you really consider how the vehicle is being implemented, designed, architected, tested, validated. And by design, at each stage, you're doing something in a way that gives you strong confidence that you're building a good product, you know, that's as safe as it can be. Uh, so to your second question, uh, is RSS um, or, or and the RSS concept for just for driverless vehicles, or could it help in driver assistance? And actually, the answer to that is is actually yes. Um, it definitely could have a use uh, in driver assistance. We published a companion paper that talked about, uh, really asked a provocative question, which is, what if you could achieve, you know, vision zero, you know, no accidents or fatalities with still human-driven vehicles? You know, how would you do that? And, and really what the idea, the concept that we proposed in this kind of academic research paper was what if you took something like RSS, you know, which usually governs the, the kind of proposed decisions of an AI-based driving policy algorithm. And basically you're, you're replacing that AI now with the human. So we're the AI 
we're making our best guess you know at, at good and safe driving decisions but we're we're not perfect sometimes we make bad decisions but what if you had something like RSS that was always there that was always operating and running in the background even when you and I are driving and so now essentially you'd have a a vehicle driven by a human uh call it a super advanced you know driver assistance or level two plus plus or something, but that with uh, an RSS model protecting your own decisions and preventing you from making bad decisions that could lead to dangerous situations and get you into an accident. Um, So it's a really interesting concept. Jack, one of the things that I thought was really interesting in the original white paper that that you guys released when RSS was announced was uh, you you know, we do a lot of talking, like you said earlier, about, you know, how safe is safe enough to deploy autonomous cars. And, you know, not a lot of people really put a fine point on that. But uh, but your white paper did. And it talked very, you know, specifically about taking traffic deaths in the United States from 40,000 a year to 40. Uh, and that was a, you know, I don't think there's too many other people out there, if, if any, who have put a very specific number on on what safety looks like in the autonomous future. Yeah, and I think we think it's important though because I think if if we're not upfront, you know, open and transparent and honest with ourselves, with the industry and with governments about the technology, how it works, why we think it's safe, what level of safety we think it can achieve, here's the data and the formal proofs and everything that support that argument. You know, what the public is left with is a bunch of companies just saying, trust me, it's proprietary magic. I can't tell you how it works because it's a trade secret. Uh, or I can't tell you how it works because it's all AI. So I don't really understand how it works. Um, and I think just consumers aren't buying that. You know, a lot of the, the surveys you see, I think the AAA had one, right, that said something like 75% of people are afraid to get into an autonomous vehicle. I mean, think about that. You know, we've got a whole industry of com- uh, whole industry building a product that our own customers are terrified of. You know, that's kind of a problem, right? So there's an interesting kind of interplay, both in terms of a trickle down and trickle up. You know, between ADAS and and automated driving. I think, in a sense, you you practically just answered what was going to be my next question, which was uh, something to the effect of it's been almost three years since Intel acquired Mobileye, and what are the advantages that you have uh, have seen from that? And uh, talking about cameras and, and mapping, uh, moving up to from ADAS to automated driving seems like that's right in uh, in Mobileye's wheelhouse. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, since the acquisition, you know, business is booming. You know, the financial results speak for themselves. Um, so for the folks who care about that, you can find that online. But business is great. Uh, Mobilize uh, really able to self-fund um, their investments in fully automated driving, which is really unique if you think about it, right? Because that doesn't mean, you know, so because if, even if the technology is ready, the regulatory framework pushes out, and so deployment dates pushes out. That's okay. We've got a very healthy driver assistance business, so we can can continue to kind of cash flow our investments, reuse those investments to deliver better driver assistance solutions, and um, you know be ready to deliver any level of autonomy uh, anywhere in the world. Um, since the acquisition, Mobilize expanded their business considerably. Um, the mapping capability. Um, uh, has really gone uh, is, is going great. Um, we're going to have 
uh, nearly all, pretty much all of Europe mapped by, uh, I think, around the end of the year. By end of 2020, we'll have most of the U.S. mapped. Um, so that map asset is growing quickly. And recall that map a- asset, which is based on REM, uh, the mobile technology, is, is done using driver assistance vehicles. So dr- cars that you and I are driving around are helping contribute to crowdsourcing this map. That map assets now being resold and being used um, to get to deliver insights for functions uh, and, and things that have nothing to do even with automated driving, you know, for city infrastructure improvements or things like that. So um, there's all sorts of things that Mobileye is doing, you know, post acquisition where they've been able to benefit from and, and leverage a lot of the great talent and expertise and technology that exists within Intel, um, but they're still firing on all cylinders in terms of their core business as well as their investments into the future. You know, most recently with their announcement that um, we're all in on the robo-taxi market, you know, and entering the mobility as a service space, first in Israel uh, and then, you know, elsewhere around the world uh, after that. So things couldn't have gone better. We think of it as perhaps one of our most successful acquisitions ever at Intel and, and couldn't be more happy with their performance to date. All right, Jack, last question here. If I have my figures correct, uh, you are the owner of 19 different patents. And I'm curious, uh, which one are you most proud of or, or what's most interesting to you among uh, among uh, your holdings there? Well, that's a good question. I got to update my account, too. I think I'm, I'm upwards of 20 or 30 these days. Um, but, um, yeah, here's a fun one, actually. So my very first one, my very first one, uh, was a cut was I think the title was a colorblind filter or something like that. And so I was a very junior engineer, uh, thinking about how people used um, technology. Uh, I'm not colorblind. I don't know anybody at that time. Didn't know anybody who was colorblind in my family. But thought about hey, you know, for a person who's colorblind, we use lots of blues <laughs> and reds and greens in our computer screens. So how could you modify the graphics processing pipeline? Uh, to change colors into patterns so that the screen could be more visible, you know, to somebody who's colorblind. So I thought it was a cool idea. Apparently nobody else had thought of it. Um, so that was my first patent. And then years later, uh, when I met my wife, turns out her father was colorblind, lived his whole life colorblind, and was a computer scientist, and so struggled with this problem <laughs> on a daily basis in his life. And so it was one of those kinds of things that kind of sort of came came full circle later in life. And so I'll probably, I'll probably always remember that one, not just because it was my first, but because I've got a, a personal touch with it as well with my, uh, with my father-in-law. I think you did it just to get in on the good side of your father-in-law. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, Jack, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the uh, Shift Podcast today, and we look forward to talking to you again somewhere down the road. My pleasure, Pete. Always, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks again to Jack for joining us on the podcast today. We're now going to turn our attention to Alexa, who's going to give us a rundown on the highlights from suppliers at CES. First, quick break. The automotive and mobility industry is facing massive challenges based on sustainability imperatives and environmental regulations. But whether you are a mobility operator, an automotive manufacturer, one of the local authorities, or even an urban transport planner, all must come together to redefine their models to be built on a holistic view of sustainability in the future. 
In Capgemini's 2030 vision for the automotive sector, new technology solutions will make it possible to work on a true end-to-end sustainability journey and steer the industry based on green mobility offerings. This is Capgemini, and as a long-standing partner of the automotive industry, we are proud to support this series of podcasts. Thank you for listening in, and now, back to the podcast. Welcome back. This is Leslie Allen, and I wanted to ask you, Alexa, this is going to be your very first CES and first, I just want to hear what you're expecting, and um, are you excited about it? Um, yeah, so this is my first CES, and I am very excited. I'm a little nervous about these long days here, but I think uh, there will be a lot of good things that come out of the show. Um, and I know uh, we're all trying here at Automotive News to cover a lot of different ground. So I'm excited to see, and uh, once we come back uh, next week, you know, hear a roundup from everyone's experience. So you have uh, two beats at Automotive News, you not only cover mobility, you also cover suppliers. And of course, suppliers are often the star of the show, as Pete mentioned earlier. So give us a little rundown on what you're expecting. What are some of the more interesting or exciting announcements that you're expecting from suppliers? Uh, Well, so first, there will be 18 major suppliers at CES this year. Um, All of them have returned from last year. And, you know, also, there will be quite a few startups who are trying to enter the supply space, you know, especially as new technology come to fruition. So there will be this interesting mix uh, between the traditional suppliers um, and new players at CES. Um, And, you know, you alluded earlier, but a lot of the big topics are, of course, going to include um, advanced driver assistance systems, autonomous vehicle technology. Um, And so with that, I'll be chatting with Bosch, uh, Continental, um, and several others. And then, you know, also a lot of these new kind of tech companies. Um, And so the fact that, you know, so many automakers are, you know, starting to get a little bit more realistic about their their very ambitious um, AV plans, you know, that's not stopping these suppliers from showcasing any number of solutions related to, to AV tech uh, at CES this week. Um, and so I would expect to see, you know, quite a few different prototypes for, for both AV tech um, and electric vehicles. Um, but another topic that, you know, I'm also looking forward to, um, as you also mentioned, is 5G. I mean, this is probably the latest and greatest in terms of innovations that suppliers are all really looking at, at tackling um, this year, especially. Be interesting to see at CES if 5G is actually available for the rest of us. I know one time, and I'm dating myself a little bit, when um, I used to go to CES many years ago, and there was a problem with so many people were starting starting to get iPhones, and they were all on the AT&T network, I believe, when it first started, and people could not get online because there were so many people trying to use this wireless technology at the same time. I'm wondering... We'll see when we get there and um, about how uh, prevalent 5G is going to be, even for us using cell phones. I know there are some phones that are coming out that use 5G. Right. So um, moving on to another topic, Alexa, I know that you specialize in covering suppliers, but automakers are also going to be a major presence at the show, and they have been for the last decade or so. So do you, can you give us a little bit of a preview on what some of the automakers are doing? Yeah, and um, 10 automakers are going to be at CES, and it sounds like they all have um, 
quite big um, exhibits and, and demos planned. Um, of course, Ford will be showing its 2021 Mustang Mach-E crossover uh, EV. Um, Hyundai, as you mentioned earlier, is also planning to reveal details about its flying vehicle concept, uh, which should be very, very exciting, especially uh, you know with a lot of investments that, that they're making specifically in, in new vehicle tech. Um, Toyota is going to um, demo several concept vehicles um, and, you know, a few of the others uh, also have some big plans for the show uh, this week. Well, Alexa, this is all going to be so exciting. And I know, Pete, you have your plate pretty full at CES as well. So can you just leave us with a few um, highlights from what you are expecting from CES? Yeah, I'm expecting, uh, as you mentioned earlier, I think there's going to be some light art companies that uh, are going to show off some pretty innovative approaches I'm interested in seeing what uh, the Russian self-driving car company Yandex will be doing. I'll be talking to them later today. Uh, those are just a couple snippets, but I've, I'm most excited about the fact that we're going to be bringing our listeners a daily podcast where we're going to mix up the format a little bit. Instead of having one lengthier interview, we're going to kind of try and bring everyone a sense of the show and talk to as many people as possible, get as many voices as possible onto the daily podcast. So uh, the the automotive news and shift team have a what, six, eight people going. Yes. Eight people, eight people going. So, uh, this is going to be, uh, all hands on deck, everyone contributing, uh, sort of atmosphere. I'm very much looking forward to it and, uh, hope that our listeners, uh, check back every day for our, our daily dispatches from the show floor. That is a wrap for today. Thank you to Jack Wiest for joining us. Thank you, Alexa, for your uh, rundown on what suppliers are up to. And we will be back tomorrow with more from Las Vegas. Las Vegas.